Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the bungee cords of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. now appearing in Falucifer 2. And I am the Black Metal Guy, a.k.a. Skullflower Discogs. <laughs> what's, what's, what's the story there? I just thought it'd be a good rap name. <laughs> you baited me in. You baited me in. That was very good. <laughs> All right. So now, now you you, uh, you baited me. You got to tell me about this uh, Fal Lucifer. Don't okay. hold out on me, man. Okay. So Fal Lucifer, the Immoral Codex. Uh, you got into metal around like end of high school. So like like oh seven. Yeah. Oh mm, five. I guess like into like probably. 06, really? Okay. Like, end of high school, beginning of college. Like, uh, yeah, that's that's about when I would say... Um, sort of in 05, but I think 06 is more fair. Yeah. Okay, guy, I was just trying to figure out if maybe you, maybe you missed this one, because it would have been right in the pocket. So, Fal Lucifer, the Immoral Codex, was a 2007 pornographic film that was black metal-themed. <laughs> and... It was promoted oh, yeah, heavily before it came this. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Fallus for the Immoral Coding. No, I, 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 I was thinking about it the other day because I randomly Googled it, and it's now on, like, the tube porn sites. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, so interesting. I never saw it in its prime because, like, back then, the only way you had to order the DVD, and I, wasn't, I was obviously not going to do that for this fucking, like, goofy object. So mm-hmm. I, I skimmed through it. It's, of course, fucking awful, uh, both as, like, creepy satanic film and as pornography. Um, but I always thought the funniest thing was, uh, you know, they said that the the male lead would be a, uh, a prominent member of the black metal scene who would prefer to remain anonymous. But they released some stills of the film before it came out, and people just immediately found from a tattoo that it was one of the guitarists in Enthroned. Wait. Oh, wait. Did we <laughs> actually talk about this on the last show? I have deja vu about, like about talking about this with you, and I feel like it was on the show. Because I remember insisting that it... Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember insisting that, like, it had to be Frost, right? Oh, my God. We did did this whole bit? We just repeated a bit. This is a first. (laughs) In the next episode, too. Oh, my God. Well... Anyone who didn't get it the first time can now look up Fal Lucifer, the Immortal Codex. So you, they should pay us royalties. I was about to say that one, it's a lot of free promo for you know going to the sequel that never released. Um, but it's also like everybody at home listening can now tell how passionate I am about this topic. Yeah, <laughs> about, yeah, that, and about the relationship that, between metal and pornography, which I have hilarious stories for maybe other episodes. <laughs> That, that reminds me of my favorite Onion article ever, which is uh, um, ironic pornography viewing leads to unironic ejaculation. Oh, that's a that's a classic one. That was about the zombie porno. I remember that one. Exactly, yes. Uh, one, one of my favorites was uh, uh, otherwise normal neighbor revealed to have horrifying naked lady fetish. <laughs> I, always, I thought that one was extremely funny. I'll, I'll tell that to people sometimes. Oh, what's your type? Well, you know, I've got this crippling naked lady fetish. So, you know, it's pretty specific. <laughs> well, that, that, that way people have to recognize and validate it. Yeah, exactly. What are you going to do? Kink shame me for wanting to see a naked lady? That's, that's not reasonable. Um, 
All right, guys. So uh, another episode. I don't have a mini review up front for you. I'm probably going to get back to those within the next couple weeks. I've just been doing a lot of work uh, prepping for some shows I have coming up. Uh, so real quick housekeeping at the top of the hour, you know, I'll, you all know how it works. You can follow me, the death metal guy on Facebook at Terminus podcast or the black metal guy on Instagram at Terminus extreme metal. I still find the difference in the tags. They're hilarious. Three years later. Um, and if you're particularly dedicated, uh, you can support us on Patreon, where $5 and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes, as well as the Terminus Black Circle, our private Discord server, where we can discuss things like Falucifer. And uh, I, let's see, what has it been lately? Has it been anime talk? Oh, no, it's been a Blazeberth Hall drama, if anyone wants to get involved with that. <laughs> Think, I think getting involved with Blaze Birth Hall drama is a good way to get shanked. Um, but the, uh, um, but uh, also, I wanted to say uh, we, we have a couple new or relatively new Apple podcast reviews. It's been a long time. Uh, so uh, thanks to our th- thanks to our listeners, uh, cast the pod and uh, White Gaddafi for that. <laughs> This is Brandon from Cromley, and you're listening to Terminus. And we are back from discussing the virtues of 90s-style gear to review The Malign Covenant, the new one from Verminous Serpent, out on Amor Fadi Productions. Uh, So, this is, I I say new one, but I really mean debut album. Right, uh, and Verminous Serpent is a new project from uh, Alan Averill from Primordial, uh, also known as Nemthanga or something like that. God, I can't say it. Um, uh, and um, along with two younger guys from Irish bands that have actually been around quite a while, just not not as long as Primordial, right? So uh, Joseph Deegan from Sleater on guitar and Matt Bury from Malthusian on drums. So those bands are sonically a bit, you know, a bit different from where Alan's coming from. Uh, Sleater is sort of, from what I remember, I think like I almost saw them or something, uh, but uh, I had to leave, like left the venue for some reason. Um, But the, uh, I remember it being like highly modern kind of cutting black metal, Uh, not really like orthodox stuff. Um, More like updated 2000s kind of stuff. Yeah, let me make sure I'm talking about the right band, to be honest. But uh, it's... Uh, yeah, yeah, Sleater Deluge. Yeah, yeah, sort of like like mechanized pagan black metal. Okay, yeah. well, that sounds kind of cool. was pre- It was pretty interesting to me back in the day. Uh, I haven't revisited it, I should. Uh, and, you know, Malthusian, right, is pretty well known as... A standard bearer of what on the show, for lack of a, a word that isn't awful, have been described as ortho cavern, right? Mm-hmm. That sort of the way that the the cavernous sound from like Dark Descent and the the sort of incantation based bands and starts sort of colliding with the uh, uh, orthodox black metal and the more glistening guitar tones. Um, and and sort of our our you know dissonant arpeggios and stuff. Uh, so 
that's it's been a while since I've heard either of those bands. The descriptions could be slightly inaccurate, but you get the idea. Um, and uh, you know, so my background for this comes because I intermittently listen to Alan's podcast, which is quite good. Um, and he's been lately. He's in the studio with Primordial doing audio journals, which is interesting about like the nuts and bolts of the recording process. So you'd enjoy that. But oh um, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, it's very shop talk. And, like, at the level of detail where, like, someone like me, who's not that experienced with that shit, can learn from it. Okay. Um, it's, uh, but, yeah, so he, he's doing that. Um, and so Primordial's only just go, getting going now. And, you know, it was really slowed down by lockdowns, right? Which was, and I imagine this project was started in response to that. Right? How do you do something urgent and fast with what you've got around you and put out something raw and nasty and uh, as uh, grimy and spite-filled as that situation called for? Mm-hmm. Right? So, um, you know, it's, it's sort of, uh, uh, it, it, you know, it, as you, you pointed out, it's kind of medieval plague-era black metal. Um mm-hmm. Uh, and it is, the atmosphere here is, you know, you said it in your notes, you, you heard the same thing, right? This is very much hanging out in the dungeon music. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a surprisingly chill record for how dark it is. Yes, it is, it is chill. Not in the sense of, like, you know, um, loose or floppy but it is very relaxed playing. It's not really after aggression per se. So as you you noted, that's a place where like that's a place where like your definition of aggression, where you say like, oh, this or that black metal thing doesn't sound that aggressive to me. Like here, I'll meet you there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's not really the focus. It is heavy in a certain way, but it's not trying to like uh, crush skulls. Um, and it's a uh, um, and and it is it's jammy. Uh, we've talked on the show about how I want to hear a, I would love to hear black metal bands experimenting more with so, opening uh, song structures and exploring different rhythmic configurations, making different use of space and uh, and improvisation, right? Stuff mm-hmm. that you can do without being a prog wanker. Uh, and this is a great example of jammy black metal that, and you had a good point about that too, about, about you know about the use of like rock technique. Yeah, well, this um, this record, this is this is a really curious record. Um, I like it a lot, but I was definitely having to grasp a little bit far afield to. Um, find bands to compare it to. I think they've come mm-hmm. up with something pretty unique here. But I think the the thing that you haven't said that's important is that this is, by weight, substantially a Doom record as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Like, this scans to me as Black Doom pretty distinctly. Um, but but not in the sense that a lot of people would imagine that. It's, it's not, um, like you said, it's heavy, but it's not focused on the heaviness of, you know, crushing chords in the sense of a Doom record. Um, it's it's generally pretty slow. Uh, you know, what sort of up-tempo stuff you get is more like a, a mid-paced war metal blast. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And yeah, it does have that very jammy, loose quality where you get the sense that probably a lot of this was just done in sort of open-ended jam sessions. I have a feeling that these songs probably came together pretty quickly. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 for not, sure. Not in a bad way, just in the sense that they're a they're just struck by inspiration, they like the idea, and they go for it, and they leave it relatively unadorned. Um, one of the weirdest things about it, though, that I find so interesting is that aesthetically, this is pinned really closely to just very traditional second wave stuff in terms of, you know, guitar tones and general timbres being used, uh, even reaching back into some kind of strange theatrical 80s territory with, you know, sparks of uh, sort of clean or chanted vocals. Um, it just, it, it makes for a very unusual listening experience, but I haven't been struck so off-center by a record mm-hmm. in a while, and I think mm-hmm. I appreciate it a lot from that alone. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't really hear the guitar tone as second wave, per se, because to me it sounds sort of, uh, it's kind of um, fuzzy. It's like a wash. Um, It's a a wide, distorted wash. Um, But it is very, in some sense, it's very cold tone, so I get that. And then I was trying to think about what second wave stuff it would kind of sound like, and I was thinking, well, maybe, okay, maybe kind of Dark Throne without, you know, without the attack. But then I was thinking, does it sound like Goat Lord? Uh, I don't know. I'd have to think about that. Sort of lurching rhythms, uh, Dark Throne guitars, but sort of really scronked out and glassy. Uh, That's actually not a bad comparison. I mean, yeah. the, the thing that I was going to immediately go for in terms of mood was, um, I think there's a big streak of just like genuine day mysteries on this. Hmm. Um, oh, the slow parts. Yeah, yeah, those kind of slow, doomy parts that dot De Mysteries Dom mm-hmm. Satanas. I, I think they pulled a lot from that, which is cool because, like, a lot of uh, people, like, pass over De Mysteries for inspiration because mm-hmm. they think it's too obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it leaves it, like, underrepresented. It's like a really hot girl who no one hits on because they just assume <laughs> that she's already taken, you know? Yeah, and yes, that makes sense. And because to actually do it is hard, right? In some sense, like, all Orthodox BM is like a a pastiche on Demisterius, but most of that is not very good, right? So Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so like, to actively draw from the album itself in new ways is a challenging thing. Uh, and yeah, I actually can really hear that, because that's also an album with kind of a, a remote, fuzzy guitar tone. Yeah, that was what I was thinking also in terms of guitar tone. Uh, you know, people think about Mayhem as this very cutting band you know, in terms of riffing, which is true, but the guitar tone on Day Mysteries is like a little bit softer around the edges and more like an overdriven rock guitar. It's the way the riffs that are written and played that's cutting, and the album depends on a lot of these kinds of contrasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's, it's a very powerful entity hovering just out of view, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, the... Um, uh, so, DMDS totally makes sense to me. Um, and I've got another much more... And, and in terms of the Doom thing, that really does make sense. I think uh, one thing that, that's become more clear to me since uh, listening to Alan's show is just how 
much of a hardcore old school doom head he is, it it might be part of why I've become more interested in the music and in that style in general. Uh, he did a really good segment on Peaceville, talked about how Journey's End, their second record, which is the bleakest primordial record, was mm-hmm. actually recorded at Academy Studios, where like yeah. My Dying Bride and Paradise Lost came from. So there's and and Primordial now makes more sense to me than it did when I was young because it's also in many ways a doom band. Yeah, well, I I thought it was kind of surprising when you wrote that in the notes because I've always kind of considered Primordial like almost primarily a doom band. So it's interesting how we scan it in different ways. But that's because you like always liked Doom more than me. Th- that's fair. Yeah, and, and listened to it more. And you know, I approached it as sort of like yeah. Uh, you know, pagan black metal, and they they do have they have songs that do that. I mean, you know, uh, you know they they have some really great songs in that vein. Yeah, but do, it's, doom uh, for you was always a matter of like isolated albums you really liked. You weren't that into it as like a yeah. No, it it took some time for me to warm to the slower tempos and the pacing, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, Primordial is doing a kind of unique thing that is both black metal and doom. Uh, yeah. And, and it it makes sense in that context of that era where there's a ton of other bands that were like, uh, you know, just Doom was big then in the early 2000s, right? And you've also got like Cobalt or Velnius from the U.S. doing similar things. Huh, but anyway. Velnius, man, that's a name I haven't thought of in a while. I haven't either, but they put out a new song with a pretty bad video, but the song is good. So I went oh, back okay. and listened went back and listened to the first one. It's really good. <laughs> I used to, oh yeah, yeah. The the first one's pretty cool. I, I used to talk to the old bassist on Discord or uh, not Discord on Soulseek. This is well before Discord existed. <laughs> cool. That's yeah, a it's a small world. Yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, Black Doom convergence uh, maybe an underappreciated thing. But I was trying to think about what else this was like. And the most glaringly obvious thing that jumped out to me was one band that is a mutual favorite of ours. Uh, but let's so let's get to this. So Seraphim Falls is the first track. Um, as it opens, it runs through a kind of laundry list of widely varied riffs. There's a really killer kind of blasphemy or bestial warlust, uh, you know, uh, martial speed metal riff mm-hmm. that that opens it, but um. That kind of goes away, turns into a more mid-tempo thing, ends up kind of stuck in a bad mutilation riff. You know, one of these kinds of, like, a thing that's interstitial, uh, but they end up sitting on it. There's a lot of, there's a a lot of weird sort of French riffs in general Mm -hmm. dotting this record, and more often than not, they work, but there are a couple that just kind of don't. Exactly. And when I heard that, I was like, hmm, I... Of all the six riffs I just heard, that is the worst. I hope that's not the center of the record. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's like, I, 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 and, um, well, sure enough, at, right at, basically right after that, the song opens up and finds its focus.
right, death metal guy, what's that beat sound like? Oh, at the very end there? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I, I know what you're getting at just from doom, the notes. So, yeah. Yeah, that's the Ride for Revenge beat. Yeah, yeah. It's also it's, just like um, a very slowed down sort of hardcore intro or something. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, yes, for sure. Yes, we've and gosh, we've in you know see our last review of Ride for Revenge for us just spurging about the hardcoreisms there for a long time. But mm-hmm. um, but that is basically the default beat of this record. Variations on that kind of uh, highly syncopated groove. Tran- all of Transcendent Pyre is based on that. Uh, and it's a touchstone they'll return to whenever they just need a uh, a default heavy groove. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what's really interesting about that sample um, uh, over that beat in particular is the riff over it. Um, well, you know, I've talked about this being black doom, but really it's like black plus traditional doom, which I mm-hmm. find that's a super interesting choice. Because, you know, usually black doom is taking just the most extreme elements of doom and sort of putting aside, you know, maybe you'll have like languid sort of romantic riffs if it's more DSBM angled, but not a lot of people are doing like Sabbathisms in the, uh, you know, in a black doom project. And there's actually a lot of that across the record, which it just occurs to me positions this like in relation to something like Syndexioi or Surger Wounds. Oh, I could hear that for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, oh, the production is a lot like uh, either of them in different ways, right? Uh, yeah, the sort, sort of, of spacious and subterranean, spacious, clanging uh, atmosphere. Yeah, subterranean washes of atmosphere, but not at all in the way that is usually associated. Not at all in the shoegazy way that's usually associated with that. Um, yeah, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. And that's something else I was going to say. This is not, um, this is by no means a kind of, like, fun side project by an old head, mm-hmm. right? It, it's, um, you can hear, uh, you can hear, right, that the oldest member is still vitally connected to what's going on now. And you can hear also that there's something is real, really is being contributed by the younger dudes, right? Yeah. Uh, by the by, the guitarist and the drummer. Uh, yeah, it's, in, and, it's important to think of it as a full-fledged collaboration. Yes. Uh, and I, like, I doubt, I mean, I doubt Alan listens to Ride for Revenge. I'm sure these guys do, and it's just all over here. Yeah. Um, another thing that occurred to me just now listening to that sample, uh, you like this cause it sounds like Amoebix. Oh yeah. 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 Well, we've long talked about the primordial Amoebix parallel and this is like Amoebix in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. This is yeah, like this the is... chug parts. Yeah. It's like the chug parts, but it's also like, um, what was their, what was like their comeback record? Um, I think Sonic it Mass. Like Sonic Mass. I think this sounds like Sonic Mass in particular in parts. How, hmm. You'd have to explain that because Sonic Mass was like their most beefy sort of stadium kind of. I think that quality kind of bears out here, though. This is um, there's something very big and ceremonial about a lot of this music. (laughs) It definitely pokes around in some weirder territories. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not, you know, stadium in the sense of like poppy or accessible, but maybe it's amphitheater. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Sonic Mass was produced by Roy Mayorga and, you know, from Soulfly and and obviously Nausea before that. And I, I think he he was doing the drums, too. And I, I think he kind of... I mean, I think it's a great album because of the songs at the heart of it. But I, I think he gave it this horrible, glossy, new metal production and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, um, but I, I can... He- it, it is very focused on sort of like pop, you know, they they do a different version of the po- uh, polyrhythmic chug riffs. Um, I'd say that what you might be thinking of is really the second Amoebix record. Oh, Monolith? Uh, yeah, Monolith. Um, and in particular, and, and some, of the, some of the lesser known tracks on Arise, but Monolith has this, the guitar tone is close to Monolith. Monolith mm, is okay. much harsher. Uh, it has much more of a cutting edge. It's it's an extremely aggressive tone, but that it's this sort of more higher end, uh, um, higher end, highly distorted, uh, textural, um, and allows for weird disharmonies without really going into skronk territory. Uh, okay. yeah. And and the way the record sort of rocks and sits on that mid tempo, like the way you can hear this sort of the way verminous serpent will lock into this that sort of seesawing mid-tempo grooves you could you could have on um well a lot of the monolith is also very doomy uh and and you can hear all over that record yeah i mean amoebix always struck me even in their fast moments as having that yeah. sort of doom quality to them it's like you can see how for sure yeah, and you, you can see how that, you know, connects them from punk back into metal by way of stuff like Bolt Thrower, which is, like, weirdly kind of a doom band, while it's also the most death metal band ever. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and, you know, in Amoebic, some of the doom riffs are actually coming from Joy Division. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, all you the know, Joy Division. Yeah, New Dawn Fades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, New Dawn Fades and stuff, but, like, yeah, so if you take, uh, like, like, um, uh, uh, ICBM, uh, what, what's what's another like that? That is a very slow uh, sort of stately track. Um, the um, but you know they've also got uh, uh, what was I going to say? Like um, the other thing, really, I found a, a way of explaining the guitars on that record, which links it to this. It's the most jammy Amoebix record. The guitars are almost completely decoupled from the bass at times. Mm, yeah, and yeah, so I, it's been a long time since I've heard that record. So, so I'll have to go so back. this has so that's one thing that's cool about Vermin a Serpent, and one thing that's new about them and expanded things black metal could do. Right? Uh, on the one hand, it's tapping into this ancient Amoebix thing, but on the other hand, you know, it's it's getting at a sort of a blind spot in black metal, which is freeing the guitar and you know okay we're gonna anchor with the bass and the guitarist can start just doing nasty shit yeah speaking of which that dovetails very well into uh my first sample uh which is off the title track the malign covenant um a real effort has been made on this record to divorce the guitar's rhythmic approach from black metal strictures. There's just, there's not a ton of trem riffing across this record. Um, When it does hit, it's usually a a pretty pivotal moment. But in keeping with the sort of semi-improvised, jammy nature of this, the riffs tend to like slosh around 
a little bit more rhythmically. There's more negative space, kind of lopsided riffs where uh, these melodic fragments will trail off and the rest of the band really gets to fill in. It, it, you know, Metal is guitar-centric music fundamentally, but it's always interesting when you hear a metal band that's willing to play a little bit more like a rock band, uh, like you said, with the bass anchoring things down. Um, so we're going to hear a lot of that in this sample. And also, I really like the drumming on this record. It's understated and it's not fancy, but there's a lot of play going on to really juice a relatively small number of riffs mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for a, a lot of value just through rhythmic variation. It's really up to the drummer of this band to keep things interesting and keep things moving. And I think he does a really good job of that. a really convoluted riff at the end. I, I forgot yeah. it's not complicated. This is an interesting record because like listening to this back, I, I'm able to build a lot more connections than I was on my, my original listens, maybe just through talking to you. Um, but what's interesting is like, yeah, I love the sort of like drunken swaying of a lot of those riffs. They just kind of slosh around the fretboard. You know, they're, they're, you know, swung a little bit off the beat in a really satisfying way. Mm -hmm. And while it was playing, uh, you were talking about um, uh, one of those riffs. What, what did you say? It could be a Killing Joke riff? Or... Uh, no, no, no. Sorry. Uh, opposite. There was a thing in the middle that was like uh, this just really horrible disharmonized lead. Like twin oh, yeah, lead, yeah. tandem leads disharmonized with this falling uh, mournful melody. But it's been given the most horrific uh, harmonization and it sort of cuts off abruptly. 
mm-hmm. and the in the basic shape you could hear oh that's like some of the ugliest um most painful paradise lost or my dying bride riffs yeah i can definitely however see that. Yeah. oh um i i also wanted to relate this back to uh something that you said before which is like some of those really weird drunken wandering the french moors riffs that this rec- that this <laughs> record has sound kind of like sale fru and Sally Fru is like an extension of the mutilation sound. But now the really interesting thing that I'm piecing together is like, I never considered like a direct connection between like mutilation and maybe stuff like Killing Joke or Amoebix. But that kind of makes sense, you know, because Willie as an artist is like kind of a goth, you know? Oh, he's definitely, yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely embodies some of the worst characteristics of a punk scene. Um, yeah, well, right? he's, he he liter- but like in I mean, he, uh, he like he literally is a junkie grifter. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's like, and then you can kind of see how mutilation is like in its own weird way, like a gothic thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I, I never, and, and I say that with fondness, by the way. Oh yeah, of course. Of love <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I had never considered that the idea of a direct relationship between mutilation and stuff like that, but it really makes sense when you zoom out a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to say where any one feature of this record is coming from, but it's, it, it's, uh, it's part of this intricate network of threads between mm-hmm. styles that play off each other. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I hear that thing about mutilation. Like the the basic riffing style, right, is like light years apart, right? Or at yeah. least the things that we remember as the mutilation riffs, which are the sort of soaring, yearning, uh, baroque black metal runs that he has perfectly mapped out but cannot play. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, the uh, but the. The Skronk riffing is, which is at least fifty percent of the record, is drift. There are musical values, senses of what sounds, what sounds heavy, what sounds aggressive, uh, that really are similar, sort of, to um, Stig's playing on Amoebics. Like, yeah, you want like a cutting tone. You want certain kinds of uh, just crush like the tone isn't crushing the cording is uh the um and yeah yeah ravens of my funeral is you know, <laughs> you, know um, you know what's sort of an aside but at some point you should try checking out mutilation guitar cover videos on youtube they sound like they're different fucking songs you know <laughs> like, oh you the, the, when people Man, we should do like a terminus version. <laughs> we should do a terminus version of that. The, the only way to do it is to get blackout and then try playing the riffs. Oh god! Um, yeah, pretty right? much. It's, yeah, it's um, the uh, like like okay, okay, guys, uh, we go until we can play mutilation riffs. Um, the, <laughs> yeah, it's like it's uncoverable. You know, it's yeah, no, which is one thing reason it's brilliant. Um, <laughs> the uh. It, you know, that is... I was thinking about mutilation almost when we were talking about sort of tragic glory with the Cromlech record. A very different version of that is mutilation, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's a... It's, um, it's, 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 a, it's a low culture it's, attempt it's, it's, to pull on high culture threads. And it's like yes. failing in the process and the art is found in that failure. Yes, you can just hear him reaching up from the gutter and abjection to just 
uh, you know, shimmering beauty, right? Uh, it clawing after it angrily. Um, yeah. But the, um, yeah, I, I think the thing that connects that something like that to amoebics or whatever is this is what happens, very divergent paths, but this is what happens when people really into goth use that to make uh, vicious extreme music. Vicious yeah. extreme metal. Yeah, right? there's a cool parallel yeah. there. But uh, you did mention something, which is, you know, the the interpretation. So, so this is a record with actually very heavy part, parts that I would even describe as, like, brutal, which is a, a weird adjective to use for a record like this. But when this band wants to get vicious, they get really vicious. And... Um, I was trying to figure out, okay, so the more aggressive stuff on this record, where is it coming from? You pointed to RFR, which is, yeah, that's it, that's extremely plausible. But And then I was thinking, okay, well, what about a band that Alan is more likely to also listen to, uh, as well as the other guys in this band? Um, so we'll listen to uh, a slice of Chasm of Nameless Bone, and uh, I'll do my big reveal after that. <laughs> Big reveal uh, for anyone who didn't figure out it figure it out at home. Uh, I think these guys are listening to a lot of Archgoat. Um, it, it became clear to me, you know, listening to this record, uh, you know, for like the second time, um, 
that uh, those blasting, those very slow, like, quarter note blasts Mm -hmm. are really more of a war metal thing. But then, you know, the comparison goes beyond that. It's like the... The, the dueling high-low vocals, the really scronky guitar part there. And it extends to the doomier sections, too, because Archgoat has a lot of those songs, or Nunslaughter has a lot of those songs, based on these big open chord arrangements. And Archgoat is also kind of like oddly musician-y guitar guy stuff in certain aspects of their riffs. There's a, a, a sort of rock guitarist spirit uh, behind a lot of the more subtle stuff that they'll do sometimes. And that really applies here, too. Um, and I think that's such an interesting thing for a band like this to draw from, um, presuming that's correct, that they were like consciously channeling Archgoat or something else from that sphere of war metal. Well, no, that uh, the Archgoat makes a lot of sense. Um, and it, it crossed my mind, too, when I was listening to it uh, earlier. And the... And it just, it dovetails with the Ride for Revenge, right? Because Ride for Revenge is like, they occasionally play fast parts, and those fast parts just are Archgoat, Beharit, uh, you know, yeah, Archgoat and Beharit type stuff, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's um they're very, RFR is just an extension of that school. Uh, so it would make sense that uh, Verminous Serpent are grasping at the source as well. Uh, and... The blasts there, yeah, those really are Archgo blasts. They have the, the, the slow discipline. Yeah, and it's really interesting uh, hearing that kind of thing in this, the, th- this, this arrangement of like tones that otherwise suggests you know something a little bit more shimmering uh, and uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know a little foggier than Archgoat is. Uh, there's an interesting contrast going on mm-hmm. between the presentation of this music and the execution of something like that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Also, I mean, well, one thing that they have in common is if you play the Archgoat Blasts create heaviness out of musical space, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in in a way, they sort of do the opposite of the thing we usually expect the Blast Beat to do, which is to fill all available sonic space. Um, and... In here, that heaviness, uh, that sense of space works with the gauzier guitar tone and stuff like that to be, uh, I don't know, like even even though it's aspiring, Archgoat aspires to a very different kind of brutality, you can, using spaced out beats like that makes sense in this context too, where we where the idea is, you know, these sort of more ringing, buzzing tones. Uh, also just got to point out another arch goatee guitar flourish, uh, to, as a specific example, right? When we reviewed them, we talked a lot. Yeah. About these kind of almost, uh, occasional bluesisms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. An- yeah. It- another flourish uh, there would be, um, would be that nasty greasy bend dropping into the doom riff. Yeah, which is sort of expanding on that satanic speed metal thing that you pointed out on, like, mm-hmm. uh, before the first sample earlier on that yeah. track. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, um, let's see. So, now let's go to uh, the final track, which is the most carefully plotted. It's still extremely <laughs> jammy. Uh, it, it, it evolves like a jam, but you can hear that these parts were very carefully sequenced and paced. Uh and this is a 13-minute epic. Uh, and um, 
if you've heard our samples, you have heard a certain continuity in some of the more uh, consonant, uh, you know, sort of the more sort of consonant, gloomy, epic uh, chorded parts, doom chorded parts. There's a certain kinds of phrasing in common uh, that that make them. It's not like a light motif, but when that part comes in, there's certain like melodic stems that recur, uh, and I feel like that comes to a head in Death's Head Mantra. So that um, anguished groan at the end was pretty awesome. Yeah, that that also strikes me as a very um, amoebics or tau cross kind of thing. 
Yeah, and well, and that sort of thing is also the closest we get to Alan Stalin primordial, mm-hmm. which is yeah. this kind of uh, sort of um, powerful uh, diaphragm-driven bardic oratory, yeah, right? This, this anguished bellow. anguished bellow he's throwing and he's not exactly singing often he's just throwing and shaping his voice in all these ways uh and you know uh so yeah that part for sure uh taps into that 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 gets to we, we should discuss vocal performance generally here which is uh you know um people focus so much on that oratory in his style and the way that he can you know he'll sometimes he'll full on sing uh, that uh, it's easy to forget that every record he will do full-on black metal vocals. Mm-hmm. And when he does those, he is one of the best screamers in the English language, full stop. Right? Like, those are some of the best black metal vocals <laughs> by an English language vocalist to me. Uh, yeah. I, I, know, I think that's just... because there's, there's still a lot of tone in his voice, you know? Uh, I mean, uh, yes. at, at this point, it's like a, the way a lot of people deliver black metal mm-hmm. vocals is so fried out. You don't get yeah. any of that sort of singing tone behind yeah. it. But people underrate that because that adds a tremendous amount of power. And uh, yes, and he's focusing a lot on like uh, crisply. Uh, he does. He's attending to each syllable, basically coiling and spitting his words and there's often there's a venom there's a spite and sort of scorn in his delivery that is very unusual these days uh and um but he's really kind of made sure to uh do it in a totally different way here even if you hear individual phrases like that one that might evoke primordial um it's like okay the black metal-y here I will do black metal-y vocal things that are pretty different in affect from the sort of uh, noble martial performance he does in Primordial, right? It's, uh, this is, um, the whole time he's basically just ga- given free reign to do his version of LLN shrieking antics, right? It's uh, it's it's like the guitar almost. Just like you have the freed up guitar tone, and you also have the uh, um, sort of freed up shrieking ghoul vocals in the background. And we should talk about the bass tone real quick, which is just straight Lemmy. Um, it's very well nice. there. That's what I said. Yes, yeah, that's okay. That we're there. Okay, we talked about the bass tone. Um, but uh, but yeah, about that riff, right? That is about the most quote-unquote melodic, you know, uh, consonant riff we get on the record, uh, and it pulls together some of the earlier riffs. You were saying you find this song a bit too spacey? Yeah, this, uh, I've, as far as criticisms of this record, mm-hmm. um, one of them is that, like, the jammy thing is cool, but with that comes its own sort of natural set of cons, which is that... yes. A lot of these songs like take a while to really get going. Like, um, what was my uh, my my second sample? Chasm of Nameless Bone. It starts yeah. with like a, a, over a minute of just sort of like feedback and drone tones and sort of like shuffling around on instruments, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But it's like, would the song be losing anything by cutting that out? I, I don't really think so. And then Death's Head Mantra has very cool parts, but again, it's a song that has. A lot of shuffling around b- yeah. between major arcs, I would say. I just think, you know, yeah. 
would you be sacrificing anything by taking these like totally open improv moments out? I, I think it would just make for a tighter listening yeah. experience. Yeah, there's some redundancy here too. Like, like uh, I think if that huge doom riff didn't drop there, I would have found this song disappointing as well. Because, uh, you know, listening to that build there, there's some cool just straight ahead. The, some of the closest we get to just crushing doom chords at the beginning of it. Then there's an interesting use of some of the more, uh, you know, uh, slithering orthodox tones, which I think works in this context, sort of crawling along. But then we get another sequence that basically repeats that function and sort of sets us up for the big riff, but it's not really necessary. And that's that's like almost 50 seconds long. There were maybe, you know, that's like something from around 610 or 520 to 610. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's getting stretched a bit thin there. Um, similarly, yeah, at least the last three minutes of the track are just kind of like feedback. So... You know, maybe this carefully plotted one could have been a little more carefully plotted. And yeah, there's nothing wrong with like, um, you know, I mean, obviously this was supposed to be like a shoot from the hip recording. So of course it's going to have the weaknesses inherent to that. But when they do the next one, you know, you can refine the improvisation as a method of composition and find ways to structure it.
Ladies and gentlemen, we are back, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna be working a little blue on this review, folks. So uh, if if you usually listen to Terminus as a family event, I, I highly encourage you to put the kids to bed. Uh, yeah, because nineteen years cover later, your dog's ears. I yeah, I, like one of my cats is on the table right now. I don't know if he should even be here. Um, so nineteen years after they do. After their debut, um, Torso Fuck has returned from the depths of obscurity to finally release a follow-up full-length record, this time titled Postpartum Ecstasy, out on Morbid Generation Records. Um, to call this follow-up uh, anticipated and long-awaited is an understatement. Torso Fuck made at least... I think two or three passes at recording a follow-up full length and they just never materialized because of like just absurd shit like technical issues like hard drives failing mid-recording and they just abandoned it. So nearly two God decades, was trying to stop them. Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't surprise <clears throat> me. Um, so Torso Fuck's debut, the charmingly titled Erotic Diarrhea Fantasy was released in 2004, and it's something of a cult hit. Uh, if you're, like, a younger listener, you might never have heard of Torso Fuck, but they were sort of a meme band before that was even a, a concept that was established. Um, just because the, the absurdity of the vocals and the music and the aesthetics was just too much for a lot of people to bear. Um, so it, it became a sort of challenge album. It's like, oh, you like extreme shit? Listen to Torso Fuck. Um, I got into it pretty early, uh, in their prime. Torso Fuck Ever only did, you know, basically, uh, their original career was just, you know, a demo tape and then a split with Lymphatic Phlegm and then, uh, the full length and then just some weird little tapes. There's a, a live tape of a tour they did in Mexico. It was a weird time in the 2000s. Let's just say <laughs> that. Um, but they are back. You know, when this was announced, I was like, okay, I've seen this before. Um, from Torso Fuck, but this time it actually landed, and we are here to see if it stacks up. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, Torso Fuck I refer to as a sort of slamming gore grind band. Uh, if if I can be allowed to use such tortured terminology there. Um, the guys behind the band talk about really just seeing it as a death metal band first and foremost, but this really strikes me as more gore grind at its heart. Uh, with a lot of brutal and slam death inflection. Uh, and one thing that's cool to note is when they came back and made the announcement on this record, they said in like very specific terms, don't worry, absolutely no progress or development or additional intelligence has been found in this music. It is exactly the same thing again. <laughs> and, every, and everyone was fucking stoked <clears throat> because for music like this, that's exactly <clears throat> what you want. <clears throat> um, 
I think they were a little bit incorrect, though, because <laughs> some progress has been made in that this hangs together really well as a a real and consistent artistic statement, like capital A art. Whether it's by intent or by happenstance, that's impossible to tell. But I would say that there are real aesthetic decisions being made on this album. And, I mean, you can tell before I even really start talking about the music. I love it. And if you love the old Torso Fuck music, you will absolutely enjoy this. Uh, so now, Black Metal Guy, as someone who I assume did not listen to Torso Fuck in high school, like I did as a mentally ill child, <laughs> what, did you, <laughs> what did you make of postpartum ecstasy? <laughs> Um, well, well, you're, you're still a mentally ill child. Um, that's true. It's, uh, yeah. But, the, yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, the, uh, you know, um, I, yeah, I think it's really good. You know, I think there's a certain kind of thing that you really like that is extremely far out in your sphere of metal. And when you explain to my me why it's good, it just immediately makes sense to me. And it's good. But more than that, I can also just uh, really appreciate it musically. So here's one way to put it. Uh, um, musically, let's say you ignore the samples, which we'll return to. Musically, I find this quite enjoyable, right? Mm -hmm. uh, this is, you know, uh, just, I say in quotation marks, you know, just withering music-adjacent death metal attack. Uh, it is, uh, the tones are utterly obnoxious, and yet, <laughs> if you're into this shit, actually sound cool and listenable. Uh, it, it, it's just a, uh, um, it somehow sounds... Uh, there's a lot of white noise, but also a lot of rumble at the same time, really. Uh, it, it just sort of... It's almost like the, just the whole spectrum... There's there's noise at the whole spectrum. Through the whole spectrum. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's difficult to describe the tone, because it's just like uh, a massive wall of, of shit happening. Um, it's... The, uh, what I didn't realize was that these guys are Finnish. Um, and so in that sense, it's kind of like Concrete Winds' reclusive uncles, you know, mm, uh, yeah. you can, you can, you know, you've pointed out how that band is, even though it's for, formally kind of war metal, it's really influenced by Brutal Death and probably Gore Grind and shit like that. And you can, you can hear a connection here. Uh, in Finland, everyone is always, everyone doing the most serious extreme metal is always only one step of separation away from, uh. Uh, Satanic Warmaster, and this <laughs> band actually shares an ex-member who played live in Satanic Warmaster. So there you go. Uh, like Werewolf is of black metal. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Laurie is actually in the comments. Um, oh, Werewolf. that's awesome. Yeah, Werewolf says absolutely phenomenal. Um, <laughs> so, and you can see why he likes it because this is a very different version of his idea of extreme music as sort of. Uh, gruesome perversion um, yeah yeah uh I, I, now, I think that's important to is that where you want to get into the aesthetic stuff well we, we we could i mean we could folk say a little more about just on a musical terms first on musical terms it just has very crushing uh 
very like really good slams that I enjoy. It has crushing things that are more like bolt thrower runs or beat downs. It uh, has uh, awesome blur blasting, and uh, I really like it. Yeah, and oh, uh, and it sort of goes without saying if you've ever heard Torso Fuck, but the the primary influence here by far is going to be Mortician. Um, and you can see how this relates to sort of the post-mortician bands like fluids that have emerged. Like, uh, Torso Fuck, you can relate very directly to fluids, both on musical and oh. thematic levels. I had that thought, too. I was like, oh, this is like a version of fluids that's, like, more to my taste. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I, I agree. It's like, that's one of the underappreciated things about Torso Fuck is that I really like that, that, that word you used, withering. It is very withering at music. The blast beat sections are, uh, they give me the same feeling that listening to Last Days of Humanity does, of just like mm -hmm. the sheer ferocity of them. Uh, and this, <laughs> is a, this is a drum machine band that very much uses the drum machine as a musical instrument unto itself mm -hmm. through just like inhuman blasting, like bizarre fill arrangements that a human wouldn't play. Um, and along with the, the sort of, and it really emphasizes the coldest, most mechanical parts of it. Uh, I think that um, there's a Japanese gore grind band that's kind of infamous called Catasexual Urge Motivation that I think is a very, <laughs> uh, a very direct influence here. Yeah, we got some uh, patrons that are really into them. Um, but that was a band that was also really into the coldest and most atmospheric parts of gore grind, and a lot of that bleeds into this record. Yeah, for sure. This is certainly cold and atmospheric and, you know, in the way that, uh, you know, Catasexual at time is just, you know, I have only listened to that once, but I loved it. I told you it was like Hate Forest, right? Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Uh, that there was just this like thrumming, thrumming primordial waveform uh, just like rumbling through you, right? I just stood in front of my speakers with my arms open. Yeah, the, right? the, uh, the reverb um, is so blown out it becomes yeah. its own instrument. Yes, and so the, the the um the kind of uh the tones here are different, but uh I can hear it in yes, it has this just massive continuum of sound and it is uh fiercely abstract and atmospheric in the same way, so I can totally hear how they're influenced by catasexual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh that's an important thing is that I I have always argued that stuff like this is highly atmospheric music, and you've been more amenable to that than a lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. But I think this this is like basically inarguably an extremely atmospheric record. It's just not atmospheric in the way that we use that term in the metal scene, which means about trees. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's you you don't want to. Um, this this one isn't for um, incense. No, this this definitely transports you to a place. It's just not a place you want to be. You know? And so, at that point, we get to the samples. Mm, yeah. So, so uh, you, yeah. Uh, the first way I would get at it is saying, you know, we just hedged all of that around if you ignore the samples. You cannot ignore the samples. And you should not ignore the samples right. because you'll be missing a big part of the story. Um, a lot of people complain about the samples in Torso Fuck or in bands like them, like in Mortician. A lot of people say, oh, you know, why can't I get a Mortician record without the samples? And I can tell you, it's not the same experience. Um, I wrote it in the notes. This comparison had never struck me until I listened to this record, but here the samples 
function sort of similarly to the way um, patches of dark ambient would work on 2000s black metal releases. They are creating a negative space in the middle of the music. I mean, this album is nine tracks, but it could just be one track broken up by these chunks of silence and, you know, bizarre, horrible sound effects and stuff. Um, and I, another thing that I wrote is, you know, when it comes to sampling, a, a goofy line from a movie is one thing, but just two minutes of a woman screaming in fear and pain without, like, context or without a real beginning or ending, a statement's being made. Um, an artistic goal is being achieved there, and it's the same goal as something like White House or Navicon Torture Technologies in that moment. Yeah, so those moments specifically, like uh, woman screaming in pain for two minutes, and uh, there are a few that are like that, uh, and a couple others are just like the core of the record. Mm -hmm. The record is written from the samples. The samples are the center of the music. Uh, and if you're not confronting the samples, you're not confronting what the album is about. Uh, we would, in a sense, we would love to play them for you, Except we really don't want to inflict that on you if you're just, like, enjoying a cup of coffee and trying to sh shift lanes, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. um, this is, like, like, you can seek it out on your own time when you're in, you know, whatever mood you need for this. Uh, <laughs> it's, um, uh, so you'll only get little bits of them. And honestly, like, as I think you pointed out, like, if we... I mean, on, like, like, who knows? We might get, like, bot-censored if we played some of them. Yeah, um, and also, it just, like, we'd just be playing whole tracks at that point. Because yeah. the, the samples as, as need the music, and the music needs the samples. Yeah. Yes, as many have pointed out, uh, yeah, if we if we did the samples, we couldn't sample the tracks, you know? Like, uh, it's, um, as, as you and others have pointed out, some of these song titles are, you know... Uh, it's questionable whether we should even say them on YouTube if we w don't want the algorithm to hate us even more than it already does. Uh, but yeah, so the the samples are painful to listen to. They are absolutely no fun. Um, they are uh, profoundly confrontational. Um, they're and, upsetting. Uh, you know, they're they're they're, they're really yes. upsetting to listen to. They're, deeply upsetting uh and it's the sort of thing that you i mean i i guess if you listened to this record a bunch of times y that you might sort of just they might become background to you but in a way that would be kind of fucked up yeah no that, it's uh, like I, like i want to say it's like whenever people talk about shit like this they you know these you'll see reviews of torso fuck where they talk about how long and boring the samples are but they always say it with this very like vitriolic language and that really gives it away. It's not that they're boring. It's that they're upsetting. They yes, make they're you scared. uncomfortable. And that is absolutely the point. You know, these are not just there to be goofy fun. These are there to be awful and to be part of this whole harrowing experience. It, yes, it is extremely harrowing. Um, and it is not. So, yeah. So let's listen to the first track. We'll start with the very end of the sample. We'll see if we can get away with that. Uh, um, about 50 seconds in. Um, uh, you know, um, listen to the, uh, as you're listening, track the rhythm of the sample 
and the rhythm that the bass drum starts keeping behind it. And, uh, you know, remember, this is of this is Torso Fuck's take on the classic extreme metal theme of having sex with dead people. performance is just as legendary as on the first record it's it's a completely <laughs> fucking miko is such a monster on this like the, those sounds these like non-effects treated uh I, people used to call them like purrs like gore purrs it, it's totally distinct yeah yeah and the way he sort of like so it has a little bit of the hopping on one foot rhythm from like cephalotripsy, but mm-hmm. it's more like, uh, yeah, the way it sort of purrs, it sort of slides and cuts across the beats in an interesting way. There's a lot of continuity in the sound. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a like a crazy like acid synth or something going off. Yeah, exactly. Time. Yeah, there's like it's like someone is like uh, you know, like doing the um the wobbly the wobbly thing on the keyboard or <laughs> just like bending a tone. Yeah. Um, I mean, that kind of applies to everything on this record. It feels like yeah. it's almost phasing in and out constantly. Yeah. It's, it's so down tuned. Uh, like uh, the first torso fuck record I believe was in G, which was just not a tuning people did back then apart from mortician. It, it was absurdly low. Yeah. So, um, Obviously, just, yeah, the tone is absolutely crushing. It has that world-falling-down sound you get in only the most extreme bands. Uh, it's, um, 
in some sense, it's a perfect heavy guitar tone. Yeah, it, it is its own thing because it's yeah. like it's got the crumbling quality of like cheap line-in production, but mm-hmm. just distorted to sheer unrecognizability. But still, somehow has some tone color. Like you can still decipher the riffs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and you could hear another thing that continues throughout this record that we'll talk later about at the end. Um, the second slam that comes in rhythmically works a lot more like an industrial riff. And I mean like industrial metal, sort of dance-oriented industrial metal. Uh, yeah, the industrial streak on this record is very important. It extends beyond the drum machine, and I, I think these guys probably listen to a lot of like serious industrial and noise music. Yeah, you've already pointed out the affinity with, like, White House or whatever, but, like, also, and any kind of serious sample-based industrial method, mm-hmm. and also the, you know, the bands that we would co- come up most often on this show, so, like, the metal version of those, those, like, so Skin Chamber or, uh, you know, Godflesh, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. But this, there's also a lot of stuff that just sounds like Ministry or even, um, you know how, like, the later... I was just in the barber shop and they were playing corn. It was the first time I'd heard it in like like years. And like I actually like you know, the early stuff is too crazy clown for me, but some of the later stuff I actually enjoyed back in the day. And some some of it just sounds like really sort of uh as you were saying sort of crumbling, crushing industrial. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. uh and and a lot of the riffs on this record uh have that quality. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I think there's a certain thread clearly, especially in timbres between new metal and uh, industrial, like industrial rock stuff, uh, and then into shit like this. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think it's, it's interesting, this, this Rorschach test of these certain tones, and, and listening to an album like this realizes how much unexplored territory there is yeah. in terms of like timbres and metal songs. So, yeah, I mean, in a sense, like, we were going, it speaks a lot about the record, that what I wanted to talk about was the sample, but we just talked about the music for, like, five minutes. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's kind of what you were saying, you want to talk about one, you have to talk about the other, and you sort of, like, bounce between them. (laughs) Um, But, about the sample, right? Um, Sounds pretty different when it's the guy making those sounds, doesn't it? Yeah. And that's it's almost the uh, the th- it's almost the thesis statement behind the record is you know this this awful awful inversion of sexuality you know the 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 inability to divorce it from violence you know almost pathologically by the way uh, as an aside I believe I know uh, what movie that's a sample from I believe that is Nacho Cerda's Aftermath which is a pretty infamous uh, mm-hmm. necrophilia themed short film that I believe came out in the yeah. late 90s. It's like, that's entirely got... I like, I feel like there's like maybe one tiny sound made by a woman, but it could just be a bizarre gasp that the guy is making. <laughs> it's it's so weird. Um, and, and so, yeah, so this is a kind of sample you get all over gore grind records and sometimes on black metal records too, right? Rhythmic mm-hmm. woman moaning. Right. Uh, yeah. There might even be dude sounds thrown in there too. Right. But like, the focus here is it's just like you have to listen to some other dude 
just some some just disgusting serial killer or you know necrophile just getting his rocks off right Um, and (laughs) getting his rocks off in a kind of abject way he's enjoying it too much especially considering his partner is dead yeah and you can Uh, you can hear the anger in the grunts too this sort of like frustration frustration and a kind of like pathetic indulgence like yeah which is which is something i wanted to say uh that i think is important there's there's a weakness in it yeah because one of the things about towards it's like i go back to this well all the time that i think death Mm -hmm. metal should be about cruelty and it should be Mm -hmm. about like abject amorality um Mm -hmm. but the thing that a lot of bands do that but what one of the things they're missing is the sort of like petty meanness of it Mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. the 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 just like awful spirited malevolence of it, and Torso yeah. Fuck has that in Spades. It's just entirely just cruel and negative and ugly, you know, and not even in a, a strong, powerful serial killer way. There's just something so degenerate, you know. There's something so yeah. you know, gas station rapist about. Yes, it. this is not being glorious. You know, it goes back to a thing you were saying about the, um, uh, um, you know, oh, you're, I'm I'm gonna do a brain fart here, but you know, the one with the decapitated naked guy on it. Oh, molesting the decapitated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what you were saying about um, molesting the decapitated. How there's a that record is about just it has the most the lyrics are just unspeakably cruel and pitiless and just rubbing your face and all sorts of horror but the point is not to make you feel good about any of that that the thing people forget when you listen to that is like you know it's supposed to be bad doing these (laughs) things um uh and that's one thing you can say about this record uh this is almost anti-porno grind um and I, i i don't mean that it's like inverted porno grind or even necessarily that's like anti-porn because I mean think of like how many hours of the most just fucking depraved shit have these guys watched Mm -hmm. right um but um you know like their earlier stuff is closer to what we might expect from porno grind themes right erotic diarrhea fantasy you know Mm -hmm. Japanese girls kissing and shit uh they have a track called raped by elephants which is obviously classic yeah right it's obviously supposed to be funny and over the top right Mm -hmm. uh this record has none of that right so it's it's not just that it's not that it's some like uh you know, uh, a parody or some moral crusader shit, but it's like using pornograph, porno grind and pornographic method as a path into just, uh, a, a, a searing critical look at the ugliest, uh, underside of humanity. Yeah. Right? Which again, brings it's, it in um, very close proximity to, you know, power electronics and shit. Yes, this is a journey to the heart of darkness, and it's a confrontation. And so one thing you do is, uh, one thing, tell me if this sounds plausible, right? You know how, like, as a preteen encountering erotic stimulus for the first time, like, you can get off to almost anything just because it's about sex, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, oh my god, something about sex! Like, you know, um... You, you wrote in the notes something that was like, this whole record feels like 
being a preteen and encountering some horrible execution footage on Ogrish and knowing, oh my god, I'm not supposed to be here and I can't undo this. Yeah, or it's like, you know, getting mislabeled files on Kazaa when you were a kid and things were, it was a very different internet back then. Right. So, like, parts of this record, right, like, like that, the sample's a great example. It's not arousing, uh, it's not hot or sexy, but it's working as porno soundtrack, right, in the way it is. And it's like, and uh, some of the record does have things that sound more overtly porny, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and more, it, more, uh, but they are, you can imagine just like a, just a, a kid, especially prior to the era of infinite porn, just hearing this record and finding it utterly horrifying and jerking off to it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely. Do you, yeah. do you know what I mean? No, yeah, yeah. It's it's about it's, um, it, it's about like uncontrolled urge, you know. And, and yes, that's, that's why, and that's why this record is expressed in such blunt terms. You know, there's. So, so, oh, what did you have? Oh well, no. I, I mean, I was gonna develop on that. Yeah, uncontrolled urge is a great way of putting it. Like, it it sort of. The record is based on a crossfade effect. It sets up baseline erotic stimulus as conventionalized in porn, right? So for their, like, repeated fucking sound. Mm -hmm. And just makes it sound absolutely horrible. Uh, So, base erotic stimulus plus naked horror, pity, fear, shame, right? And uh, it'll do that again and again. Uh... And, and, you know, and, and it'll also do that, it'll do it at the same time and also, uh, sequentially. So, like, some of the samples here, there's nothing, they're just, you can hear that maybe someone is enjoying something, but it's just pure horror, right? You just, you feel nothing but wrenching, wrenching horror and sadness, really. Uh, and there's a, um, just... Yeah, basically horrible cruelty being inflicted on people, mostly women, um, yeah. and and uh, the total feeling of helplessness, and the record cr- like crisscrosses these stimuli, um, and you get something, and and in the in the sort of primordial in the reptile brain, you get something like sex sound feels good. Whoa. Uh, and and it makes you complicit in the degradation of bodies into machines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is, it makes you, you were saying uncontrolled impulse. This record's about input-output. Uh, and it just pushes different buttons in a cold and calculating uh, way. You know, it's important to remember the body is not a machine. The machine is an attempt to create a body, yeah. right? And in, in, you know, at its best, maybe the machine achieves a kind of bodily power and majesty. At its worst, the machine is a degraded body. And we live in a time that seeks to degrade the body into a machine. And there's nothing more than that than the kind of uh, dopamine slavery inculcated by pornography and the internet. Yeah, which which again ties back to fluids and its constant... Uh, fixation on you know the human body and the human spirit really being just 
reduced to component parts, you yeah. know, just being yes. ground up yeah. in the machinery of society. Yes, so you can hear people, serial killers here, reducing their victims, mostly women, to, you know, treating them like machines. And you can also hear those people who feel like they're big men and in charge when they do this as nothing more than uh, sad, broken machines. Yeah, just slaves to those sort of primordial yeah. impulses. Um, speaking of which, we'll do another sample. Uh, this is the one that starts with, uh, we're not going to uh, play part of that, a, a completely unbroken two-minute sample of a woman screaming and being tortured. Uh, there is... There is, it's one of the worst samples on the record. Mm -hmm. It's really awful to listen to, um, but it's extremely effective at what it's trying to portray. So we'll listen to uh, the charmingly titled Amputated Tits, um, which I like as a title because another brutal death band would call it, you know, horrendous mastectomy or something. Mm -hmm. That's... No, we're not going to gussy this up. This is just about violence and cruelty. And um, this is a, this is from the end of the song. And there's oh, something oh, really oh. surprising happens at the end here.
So yeah, at the at the very end of that sample, the last twenty seconds or so, this mm-hmm. this awful like air raid siren tone is introduced. I don't know if it's if it's synthesized or if it's coming from just guitar noise. I think that's a guitar. Yeah, it might just be like a a, a really a high tone on the guitar, and then they're playing with like a trem bar a little bit. But then also listening on headphones now, there's a very strange panning thing going on. It's subtle, but it swims mm-hmm. around your ears just in this very uncomfortable way. And as we've talked about on the show before, ladies and gentlemen, that's a sound object. That is a distinct industrial technique. Like, or it's it's all the way back from throbbing gristle there. It's like that, and that's a completely deliberate feature. As well as Listening low in the mix during some of those sections, there's just this horrible scrabbling uh, noise guitar uh, on a on a separate yeah. track, which is similar to again early White House stuff, which did a lot of guitar noise stuff, albeit with a lot more effects stacked on top of it. Um, so the 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 in, the relevance of industrial to this music is just there uh, you know and it's again it's not accidental this is secretly highly sophisticated music and it's pulling on threads that extend all the way back to the 70s yeah these are like these are finnish masters right we're dealing with a particular kind of metalhead here these are the same types of people in general who are did the torture doom bands right? yes yes i, I, was, and, I that's a great and, you comparison. know there's a spiritual relationship yes. there and, you know, that secret linkage of the Torture Doom scene to the black metal scene that your correspondent talked about, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, all, all, these these are these are particular kinds of dudes who take their art extremely seriously. Uh, and even when it's... Uh, even when it's put forward as the seemingly absurd, right? Mm-hmm. People might look at this record and go like, oh, well, that's absurd, right? <laughs> but it's just like saying that the samples are boring, right? It's a way, it's a mode of uh, avoidance. It's a, it's a cope, yeah, all the way. It's a cope, yeah. Which I also wanted to highlight, that thing you said about the song title, right? Uh, somebody else would have called it like, like you know, su- grievous mastectomy, right? This is amputated tits. Mm-hmm. There's this, like, I guess Carcass brought it in, right? But what you could call, like, fancy gore speak. Yeah, yeah. That was originally, you know, use of medical textbooks. And then it became more like circumlocution. Mm. Uh, you know, um... It, was, it became so your parents couldn't tell what you were so listening to. Well, that's, yes. I'm not sure that was the intent, but it became a... I think part of it was a simple game of one-upsmanship, like rappers using unnecessarily big words. Mm-hmm. But, like, I, I think, yeah, it sort of accidentally becomes a euphemism, right? For For Carcass, I'm sure the idea was we want to... Do something kind of like what Torso Fuck is doing here, right? Show the mechanization of the body, right? Totally yeah. degrade the body into anatomy, right? Like you were saying about fluids, parts, chunks, right? Mm-hmm. And have a, a surgical coldness to it. Um, and these days, yeah, it's just like euphemism, and it's often it's a mechanism of avoidance of making it sort of cute or funny, and it's um, yeah, it's often used for shits and giggles, right? And there's just none of that here. There's not a not a nary a giggle to be found. <laughs> Although there's a lot of shit. Yeah, there is. <laughs> what have you got next, man? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um. Well. Uh. So. Uh, 
You know, um, so I, I listened to this sample, uh, and the sample at the beginning of this one, uh, and I listened to this track, and then later when I came back to the do the notes, I looked over the track titles and stuff. Um, and so the, my thought process went something like this. Hmm, that sounds like a guy hacking his own limb off. Check song title. Oh, it is. <laughs> Properly mixed and with carefully chosen samples, there is a distinct quality to a drum machine blast beat that is unique unto itself. Absolutely, yeah. No, these guys are really good at it. The, the drum machine. Not only are they not afraid of it sounding like a drum machine, it sounds great as a drum machine. Oh, um, yeah, it's, it, it's the way to hear this. Yeah, and what we always say is if you have to use a drum machine, then you're making industrial black metal and you should cop to it and make it a strength, not a weakness you're trying to hide. Yes. Um, and so in this case, right, this is just industrial gore grind, uh, and they are using the drum machine as a weapon. Uh, it's... um. The so we could talk about the subtlety in that, right? I mean, what you get at the end there is twice uh, the basically like the beginning. Okay, like I'll just we'll run through everything that happens there in order, right? So the beginning is just after that just disgusting sound. Of course, I had to play one for you. <laughs> um, it you just get the ultimate dishwasher riff, right? The, the, the mecha blasts come in and it just sounds like like the apex of just the cycling, whooshing, thunking uh, rush of rush of circulating blast trim, right? Like, wow, okay, that's, you know, the ultimate dishwasher blast. Just, just becomes a square wave, yeah. Yes, and then it locks into what in many ways is a sped up version of a very traditional... Uh, extreme metal six eight chug, mm. almost a black metal riff, right? Or or even you know a ch the children of the grave riff. Half times it. The first half time you hear just this strange. They they've isolated two symbols on the drum machine. They're pinging them against each other. There might be a guitar tone in there too. They're generating these. Uh, 
bizarre keening overtones and the, they've like they've gone in and fucked with the volume and attack to make it softer than the other stuff going on mm-hmm. um it's uh it's really like if that were a drummer playing it would be an extremely subtle playing like and just yes. a, an immediate slowdown to like jazzy technique layered on over just a continued pummeling bass kick assault right uh yeah it's so it's um it, it's wild and it's a good another good example of industrial style sound object in something like that the emphasis on chiming cymbals you can hear like coils how to destroy angels or something like that uh and then we're back to the um the headbanging riff and then they as you said as we listened to it as we listened you were like <laughs> you're like then they slow it down even more and oh, they yeah. do the same thing but they've gone in and pitched down the cymbals and changed it each time they repeat it. It's so this is such bespoke uh, labor-intensive songwriting. It's very it's very carefully constructed music. Mm-hmm. Um, it like as off the cuff and just sort of like insane as it may seem at first, you can tell that it's like a ton of work has been put into this. And not even just in the writing, but in terms of like in the production process. There was just mm-hmm. an absurd amount of work done here. Um, but in terms of songwriting, there is a, a particular island uh, on this record that is you'd say that my final sample, this is like the centerpiece song. This is sort of what the album is trying to get at right here. Uh, we like musically or in terms of the sample? I, I, I think like this is the realization of it. Well, we're talking about a song called The Pig that happens uh, about the midway point of the record. Yeah, this sort of makes the idea explicit. If, if the listener hasn't figured it out yet, they will hear. Yeah, I mean, the, the sample is uh, some awful uh, sample of, uh, I assume from a movie, a, a boy talking about the very direct relationship between watching his father kill hogs on a farm and women being killed by a serial killer. So, yeah, it's like it, the, the concept is laid bare. Um, but musically, it's fascinating because, one, it's just it's a brilliantly executed song, and two, it ties this record back to an older Finnish death metal tradition. You can hear the Slugathor bleeding through hmm. into this in that it's almost a, a, almost a doom death song but it still has that intense gore quality. But this is the moment where every moment of this song is so hideously oppressive and sadistic. Um, it's It really does stand unto itself. When I first heard it, I thought that, well, why isn't this the closing track? But then I'm like, I think they want it to be like an interrupter track in the middle of the album to sort of separate two halves. Um, but mm-hmm. let's listen to The Pig and just some of the ugliest fucking riffs I've ever heard in my life.
God, you can hear his mouth sounds doing those vocals. You can hear mm-hmm. moisture. Yeah. And that skittering sound in the mic. Yeah, just like just like, just like chewing on saliva. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, listening to that that obviously the the centerpiece is that enormous, horrible Phrygian doom riff there. That you know does complete its melodic sequence the second time around, but the first time just bends like a, a like like a tone and a half off of its root, <laughs> and it's just. And I was saying while I was playing, that's a very specifically like catasexual urge motivation thing to do, um, where he would ha- uh, that band would have these uh, very slow, almost doom passages in the middle of these otherwise hyperspeed gore grind songs, with just these. Oddly, delicately plucked, very simple but very dark melodies. It was a super unique feature, and I haven't really heard many other bands do that before now. But it's almost like this is this song is sort of like torso fuck. Like you said, they're explaining the idea, but it's also it's got this awful tone of finality to it like all of this chaos everything it led up to is this just the certainty of like death and misery and despair and it just goes on forever yeah this this this, like endless expanse of human darkness but how does it represent itself in reality through petty cruelty and 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 rape and torture and suffering you know you know it's abhorrently nihilistic you know it's it's confrontational to other things in metal it's like oh you imagine that satan or nature or this or that or some supernatural force was the worst thing you had ever encountered but what really is it's what's happening right here right at home 